Welcome to the fifth episode of the Outpace Podcast. As always, we are happy to have you here. If you haven't heard about our new subscription, you can go to outpace.substack.com and subscribe to our monthly or yearly Outpace subscription and get a monthly event every single month that's going to include CEOs, founders, business owners, and CX professionals all across the world, as well as an extra episode of the podcast every single week. And you get a subscriber-only chat and LinkedIn group all together with it. And so make sure you go check that out. We are actually going to close the subscription as of Sunday of this week because we want to make sure and keep those events small. We want to keep our subscriber list small so we can cater to those that we really want to help and impact. And so make sure by Sunday at midnight, you are going and subscribing to the Outpace podcast and the Outpace publication to get all of those bonuses. This week, we have a very special guest. We have Rick Miller on the podcast, who is a local native Alabama, uh, and we are very excited to extract all of the knowledge from him and get to know what makes a great entrepreneur, what makes a great business owner, and how that impacts customer experience and how much they talk about customer experience as an incubator here in lower Alabama. So without further ado, here is Rick Miller. All right. I am super happy to introduce Rick Miller from uh, Daphne, actually more specifically Fairhope, Alabama, uh, and the director of the Hatch Business Institute here uh, in local Fairhope, Alabama. And I'm incredibly happy to uh, introduce Rick because I think that there's probably not a single person in Alabama that has a, as much experience or at least knowledge inside of the business world and how that pertains to customer experience. We'll dive into customer experience, but uh, first off, uh, welcome Rick to the show and, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about your background and, you know, how you ended up in Fairhope. Well, happy to do that. I, I may have to make a little bit of an edit. I'm pretty sure I could I could connect you with three or four people who have a lot more experience than I do. But I, I appreciate your uh, giving me that that much of a mantle. And um, anyway, great to be with you, Clayton. And my background is um, obviously, if you look at my gray hair, it could take a while to go through it. But I'm a local uh, person who went around the country and came back here raised in Mobile. I went to school there, went to Alabama, got an accounting degree, went up to New York, and I'm old enough to work for some of the big eight accounting firms, uh, do another Mobilian of all things, uh, went up and visited Harvard Business School and applied and got in there. So I got an MBA way back when and uh, went out west and started working uh with service and companies and kind of in the late seventies got into the entrepreneurial startup bug because, um, believe it or not, I was in a startup that was making a home computer and we had, uh, Masushita, which is Panasonic investing in us. And we also had uh, a young guy. We didn't know who he was named Bill Gates. And, um, we couldn't get him to return our calls. And I'm thinking, I got to go get on a plane, fly up to, to Seattle, wherever this guy is, cause we need some more money. But um, now I don't think I need to call him. But um, anyway, did all that, uh, kept working with startups, got married to a local gal, uh, had a son and realized that at that point I was in startups in Eugene, Oregon. And it's a long way from all your family living in the uh, Mobile Fairhope area to, uh, <laughs> to Eugene. So we migrated back here and I landed in Fairhope in the 90s. And of all things, the year before I moved here, I interviewed for and got offered and turned down a job to start this brand new thing called an incubator at UAB in Birmingham. So I spent a year looking at incubators and uh, 
just we couldn't make the numbers work for my family. But uh, fast forward after I got here working with small businesses, uh, Lee Lawson, who had a vision of setting up a tech incubator for the Eastern Shore where we could basically grow tech in this area, uh, approached me through some friends and said, would you be interested in helping us bring up a tech incubator in Fairhope? And he had no idea what I just told you about my story of getting here. So I just kind of looked across the table at Lee and said, yeah, I, th I think I'm kind of interested in incubators. So that was 2017. That's so that's that's my background in three minutes or less. <laughs> that's absolutely amazing. So the first question I want to ask you, obviously, I connected with you right away. Um, you know, after you have been on some other interviews and uh, I've heard your Northwest background and being a Spokane, Washington kid myself, uh, just connecting with you right away. But I would love to ask you, having started businesses and helped businesses across the country, you know, what makes Fairhope, Alabama, you know, different from say other cities and states that you have encountered? And is there any different method to the madness, I guess, when you guys are looking for businesses that you potentially are trying to help? Well, let, let me address a couple of different points there, Clayton. And uh, believe it or not, I've worked in Hermiston. Uh, and so I've worked in the Tri-Cities out there in your old neck of the woods. So I'm, I actually know more of your, your old stomping grounds than most people here. Um, Fairhope is a very unique place. And it's kind of at, at the other end of the state, we have Huntsville, both of which were started and have been really colonized, so to speak, by people who didn't grow up in Alabama. Fairhope was started by a guy that had this weird tax idea named Henry George, who moved a bunch of Iowans to Fairhope in the 1890s to set up a single tax colony. He had this tax theory. He was an economist that believed you should only tax the land and not the uh, efforts, not the, the your your production, what you earn. And so Fairhope was has always attracted a certain level of uh, let's just say uh, entrepreneurials, uh, folks that are not just out of the mainstream. So we have a very vibrant uh, art community here. Um, you know, so we have we have both sides of the political spectrum very passionately. We have a lot of conservative farmers and we have a lot of artists that would say are, are more progressive any way you want to cut it. Similar background to the Germans that came into Huntsville. So with that, um, in terms of starting businesses, what I would say is that certain people have personality types and certain people have a desire to control their own future. And most entrepreneurs at the bottom line is they may have good ideas, but if they don't have that drive to, to have some control, then they're probably not going to try to go through the, the uh, incredible energy it takes to start and really scale a company. Yeah, I really, I really like what you mentioned there. Uh, just the, the willpower to start and scale. But, uh, when you look at like people that are coming in that initially want help or, you know, need some of the guidance to not only start the company, but really analyze if the businesses or the idea can actually come to fruition. Are there a certain, a couple of points that you try to make uh, to that entrepreneur or that business owner, or is it kind of one size or is it not one size fits all to where you're having to kind of mold each conversation differently as they come in? Uh, great question. And I would say, 
let me let me throw out a few and this is going to be a conversation because what you're going to figure out is I'm a little bit ADHD and I may have an idea and then I'll forget about it and you'll bring me back to it if that's okay. Um, when people come in, the main thing that I try to do is to make sure that they can articulate what problem are you solving? Because ultimately, any business has to be focused on your customer. We were talking about customer experience. Customers are going to buy something for one of two reasons. One, it relieves their pain or it gives them a gain. And that's out of Business Map Canvas and a lot of books on understanding your customer's psychological framework. And so oftentimes you have an entrepreneur who comes in who's in love with their product because it solves their problem. And there's plenty of stories. You can go to Business Wars. There's all kinds of great uh, unicorn companies that started that way. However, their unicorns, can fit, they aren't necessarily the easiest way. So we try to help them understand who's your customer, what problem are you solving, and then we try to go back and help them say, okay, how big is your market? Uh, and depending on the size of the market, we then want to look at, okay, show me your resources that you're going to need to do this because there's really two paths that we're trying to help people go down. One is, do you have a scalable idea? You know, if you can find a way to use artificial intelligence right now to help people publishing, that is a giant market, okay? The other one is, okay, I just want to have an app that helps me locate very quickly and make reservations for dinner on the Eastern Shore. Both of them can work. One of them is a scalable business. The other is what we'll call a lifestyle business. And so we want to, you know, first say, what problem are you solving? How big is your market? And then your the resources you bring will let us know, do you want to try to do this as a lifestyle company, which may grow into something bigger? Or are you trying to set this thing up as a scalable business? And if you are, we need to talk about what resources you're going to need and what kind of set up in terms of how you incorporate and things like that. That's a really good insight into what it what it looks like when you're actually sitting down with somebody who runs, you know, an incubator that's, you know, talking through some of the issues. And I want to go back to a point you, that you made of like those lifestyle versus, you know, potential scalable brands. And how hard is the, are those conversations at, at some points where you're like, hey, this could work. But, you know, it does have a ceiling, let's say, geographically or otherwise, that you may hit and you got to be OK with if you know that you're starting this business first. The scalable, it's like, hey, the sky's the limit. But I would also counter that argument to, hey, you know, this $150,000 business you're looking at building is better than the $0 business because we were too worried about scaling over here. So how hard is that conversation when you're talking to people of, on the lifestyle lifestyle cycle of that versus, you know, say a brand that you think has a massive audience? Well, it, you know, good question, Clayton. I find there are a lot of people who come into incubators because at first they're not sure. They just heard that, you know, you need to go to Hatch or you need to go to Portal because they can help you. And so there are a lot of companies that have already made that decision and they're very comfortable with it. If you're thinking of a lifestyle company, then then we're going to help you in a certain way. And that and that's fine. The only hard conversations are with the people that come in and, you know, they've read about Shipped. 
or they've read about Unity and they they think, okay, I've got the next hundred million dollar company. And of course, nobody's going to touch a company that can't create at least $30 million in sales. So when you talk about scalable businesses, if you can't find a way to get to $30 million in the first five years, you're probably not scalable. And so we have to have the conversation. And generally what you find is those people, it, it, it's not a difficult conversation. It's just not much of a conversation because oftentimes they're not listening. I mean, you can, you can say, yeah. I'm afraid you need to reconsider. Let's, let's talk about what resources are. I know you think you're going to do $2 million in the first year and you're going to leave 150, you know, 1.5 million in your cash account. And I'm going, Okay, how do I help them understand that it's <laughs> most companies don't hit two million and and net seventy five percent in their first year, so um, they don't listen because they're so convinced that, that they've got this figured out. Yeah, I mean that speaks to something that I, I do want to talk about. Of like, that's I I don't I don't even know how to say this in in a way that's almost uh, not derogatory, but it's like that's almost a good quality to have, right? Like some in some cases where you almost don't take no for an answer, and you're such an entrepreneur that you have to make things work. Although, like you said, you kind of know as an, as somebody who works in an incubator you kind of know the percentages, but it's almost good to not know the percentages in some ways. But I do want to talk about those traits of entrepreneurs that you've seen, um, you know, in those qualities that they possess, you know, talk to me a little bit about what you see, you know, when you, when you, somebody approaches you guys for help or uh, investment or whatever it may be, you know, what consistently across the board do you see? Or maybe tell me about the inconsistencies that you see of like, hey, it's kind of everywhere. Everybody can be successful no matter what their personality is. I know everybody's really into these personality tests nowadays. I would love to hear from you, you know, like what is the either consistency or inconsistency of these business owners that are coming in to provide or seek help? Sure. And um, the answer is it's all over the map. But let me let me hone in on that a little bit because a couple of things I didn't mention is uh, I'm certified and trained to do disc, you know, personality assessments, as well as I've gone through and gotten uh, taken courses through Gallup in terms of their Clifton Strengths Finder. So I I run a lot of those for clients that I do consulting with, but I also encourage entrepreneurs to do that. In terms of of traits, let me address it two ways. One is the number one trait I've seen is persistence. I think if there's nothing better for an entrepreneur than to just be so persistent that they keep getting up because most entrepreneurs that succeed will tell you that they were just dumb enough to not quit. And that is the number one trait I've seen is that, you know, (laughs) I have a, a couple of companies where they have every reason to just give up. But they were just so dumb, they stayed with it long enough. And if, and if you look at Jeff Bezos, you can see a lot of great examples of somebody who did that. Um, in terms of traits, persistence is a great one. The other one is if you go back to good to great, one of the things about a level five leader uh, that Jim Collins talked about in that old you know classic book was a level five leader is tenaciously focused on their goal, but at the same time, they're very humble. 
And so what I look for in an entrepreneur is a couple of things. One, are they consistent in their commitments? In other words, if, if we say we're going to meet and I suggest you might want to do this or look at, let's, you know, figure out your market share and get some numbers behind your opportunity. If they show up with some work done, that gives me a, a real good feeling. If they show up and they start giving me all the reasons why something happened and they couldn't do it, that is the first red flag that, that, okay, they're just, they're not really serious about using the help that Hatch or any of these incubators can use. Um, the second one I would say in terms of consistency is their willingness to recognize that they don't know everything and that they're looking for help. And it sounds like the same side of a coin, but you know, you can have a great idea. You can have some accomplishments, but when you're trying to go to the next level, well, I'm very experienced at, because I've just been here for 25 years, is helping them develop a team. Because what I've seen is unless you've, unless you've scaled a business, built a team, and maybe been fortunate enough to sell it, you don't have a good enough track record to attract the capital you need to launch your business successfully. And one of the things that I've learned that I try to explain to, to a lot of startups is that good idea, good market focus, uh, it, and I call that the uh, the horse. But what you're lacking is the jockey, and the jockey is the team that's going to execute it. And oftentimes, the biggest challenge we have is good entrepreneurs, good idea, don't lack the experience to make sure that the people who are going to invest in them uh, feel comfortable that their team is capable of executing. So that's a lot of what we do is help them get to that point. I spend a lot of time saying you need to talk to this person or here's somebody I know that would fit in your IT space or here's here's a marketing person you need to talk to because uh, you're going to need to have some expertise in marketing even though you've got the product idea. I, I love that you mentioned that because – I think that one of the unique things that when, you know, my wife and I moved to Alabama here eight months ago that I found out very quickly was how transparent, but how much everybody was trying to help. And I've talked about this in previous podcasts um, with Ramonica Plachette, who is a member of the innovation portal and how yeah. when she entered the innovation portal, she was very guarded of like going in there and try seeking help, but also, you know, like what's your idea versus my idea and like, are we competing things like that? And what I've noticed, although on entrepreneurship is a constant competition, obviously, you know, first to market, things like that. What I've noticed in Alabama specifically is that everybody just wants to help. Like we, we know contacts, we have networks uh, that exist for a reason. And really everybody just wants to provide some value, whether they're getting anything out of it or not. And I think that's incredibly rare, you know, for you, what have you seen um, in your years of being at the hatch incubator that you've really uh, been, you know, at least surprised by, or uh, maybe what you expected here in, in Alabama as, you know, running these businesses and helping these businesses. Well, I, I guess I'd say, you know, I started out in New York and in New York and Boston, it was what school did you go to? I then moved out <laughs> sure. to California to the Bay area and there it was, okay, what sport, what are you into this? You know, what's your recreation, your lifestyle all about? And then I moved back down South. And of course it starts with, well, what church are you a member of? But what I guess I'd say is that part of the, you know, you're from Spokane. So, you know, this place is very hospitable. Having said that, 
here's the, the, the challenge for Todd and I and everybody else trying to grow the uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem that, that we like to call it. And that is we have a lot of successful people here and they have made their money doing traditional businesses. We don't have a big investment community that's very comfortable with tech. If you're doing real estate, if you're doing hospitality, um, we have plenty of investors and people that have been there, done that, and have money that they will throw into the right venture. If you start talking to them about, I need you to invest in this blockchain venture, it's a little bit thinner market for who you might find for angel investors. So we're working at Hatch on connecting with some Silicon Valley folks. And we've been fortunate to have some people move here from Silicon Valley that, that kept their networks intact. You know, you moved here from Spokane. You have connections with people there that after you, after they get over the shock that you're living in lower Alabama, you know, which is always a shock to somebody who's not here. Of course. Then. We we have good ideas and good entrepreneurs. That just we are always seeking more capital to help them go. Um, the, I, I, yeah, I, I obviously think that that is incredible. And bringing tech to South Alabama is certainly a task in itself. And I think traditional businesses, obviously, uh, we've seen them thrive in Alabama. But bringing tech to uh, Lower Alabama is incredible. You know, myself being from Spokane, I spent I went to Boise State University. Boise is becoming you know that kind of tech hub. But people, oh, yeah. the first question that we always got was. Idaho, you know, like, what are you guys doing? Anything other than potatoes and stuff like that. And little did people know that, uh, you know, little click funnels is based out of Eagle, Idaho. Um, and so, you know, empowering hundreds of thousands of, of small businesses across the world. And so I think, uh, you know, that speaks to any place anywhere can really have this yeah. as long as it has the power and network and the investment from either the community or the places that, that they are. And there's just no reason why lower Alabama can't do the same thing as some of these other States. Yeah. And we, we have some hidden gems here, like uh coastal Alabama's community college over here in Fairhope on the third floor, their kind of medical building is a dynamic technology lab that's got a couple of professors in there and we're talking virtual reality, dynamic reality, um, 3D printers that they use at Airbus or up there. And they're teaching these kids basically using uh, 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 unengine. They're teaching them how to create virtual reality movies and everything in between. And nobody knows they're there. So we've done some things there, like we did the first ever virtual pitch contest during COVID where we used avatars for the pitch. And the whole thing was pure to the idea so that you couldn't, the, the judges are sitting there with VR headsets on looking at a screen and they're seeing avatars and we're pitching. I was one of them is why I know. Um, and we're pitching ideas and they're evaluating the ideas. Now that was created in the middle of COVID up in their lab. Uh, with like four of us just trying to figure out how to do it. My point being is we have students that are learning those skills and we're just trying to create more of an environment so that they don't have to go to, you know, Huntsville, Atlanta, Austin or, or Orlando to full sail to, to utilize those skill sets that we're actually providing here. And most people don't even know it's up there. I, I, 
Totally agree. And I think that it's absolutely incredible what you guys are doing for Lower Alabama. I do want to pivot a little bit to kind of what you talked about with like virtual reality, AI and things like that. Is there any any peek into how, you know, Southern Alabama is kind of like reaching their arms into this kind of like new world? I know if this is on your podcast bingo card, AI has talked about every episode at this point. But, uh, you know, is there a appetite for AI here in Alabama? I, I know there is. I've got a, a startup here that's um, doing some things with AI that are that are running parallel to what Chat GPT is doing. I mean, everybody's been introduced to that, and that's really just the 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 surface level. I mean, it's if you've never used it, it's pretty awesome. Uh, it's got some bugs in it, but in general, that's the start of it. So we we have entrepreneurs that are in. Let's say traditional businesses that see how AI can do things like um, speed up your ability to post so- to social media, to take your content and create and take your content, remix it and post it in ways that right now you're having to manually do that or you're having to automate, you know, set up a HubSpot or Salesforce to drip this and drip that. What if you could take something and do it better, faster using AI? You know, for that's one. Uh, virtual reality. We have built uh, up there a virtual kitchen that get this: that you can train culinary students in how to carve up a side of beef. And why is that important in AI? So they're sitting there with wands that are knives and 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 cutting utensils on a virtual side of beef that has been created. Because guess what? The most expensive thing is in a in a culinary school. The side of beef. So you can make mistakes virtually that don't cost you the same way that if you, you know, cut the wrong way on a steak or whatever. Uh, and we, you know, the, the ability to provide virtual reality training is still, uh, for small business. It is, we have companies that are thinking about doing it. And I just know that, um, I would much rather interview somebody in virtual reality and show them their, you know, or do, let's say you want to do a sales call, Clay. I mean, and we're sitting there and they're not, you can say, okay, let's go to a sales seminar and let come on up the front of the room, Rick and Clayton, and let's do a, a mock sales thing. That is way different than if you're in virtual reality and you're able using AI to have a real interview and then you're able to feedback and see how you did. Uh, because yeah, once I'm going to be out of a job. I'm going to no. be out of a job here in, in just a couple of weeks with some of the podcast AI stuff that are going on just because of, you know, how you can clip things together and, you know, make voices and do different things like that. But I also think you, you t- you're you touching on something very important when it comes to AI. And again, I've talked about this before, but the AI is not to necessarily replace humans, although it's going to do a lot of human-like things. It's to speed up productivity efficiencies and lose some of the inefficiencies that us as humans just naturally are capable of, just like you said, in culinary. You know, if we can lose some of the inefficiencies that we have, it's not, you know, the AI is not cutting the actual meat or it's not actually doing some of the things. It's helping or assisting some of the humans to do it better than they did it before. And so, you know, I think that that is going to be a major uh, upgrade. And I think that it's, you know, next generation economy where, you know, 
people wonder how we're going to pay back all this debt and, you know, it gets a little bit political, but at the same time, this is, this is how we pay it back. We get more efficient, we get more effective, we get more production out of what we already has, have as a society. So, um, I want to take well, a, I, another, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think of AI, the fact everybody's using AI, they just don't realize it. And let me tell you the name of AI, Siri. Everybody picks, exactly, up, right? picks up this thing and says, Siri, call call Clayton. That's AI, okay? It's right. being used now, and it's the same thing that when I was uh, first starting out and got my first personal computer, the fact that I had a classmate at Harvard invent a uh, spreadsheet. I mean, before that, there were no electronic spreadsheets. So to me, AI is this generation's, uh, you know, Excel, Lotus, and all those uh, things that were just productivity tools. But if you didn't have one and you were pushing numbers, it made a big difference. So <laughs> it's all there. Yeah. And people don't even know what pushing numbers means anymore, right? Because we're, yeah. all, we're all just just doing a formula inside of a spreadsheet. So, you know, I, I do want to talk to you um, and get your perspective on something that I think is important to myself. And I think that you can agree is important to businesses, which is customer experience. Um, and first, before we go down, down that road, I'd like to talk to you about, you know, your favorite pieces inside of a business. You've been really in every single part, whether it's the initial conversation brainstorming to, you know, the initial startup to scaling a business can you tell me about your favorite part specifically like what do you love to do if it if you could really be in any part of the company every single day oh that's easy ideation exactly what we're okay. doing right now um yeah. my five i'm a uh, strategic maximizer ideation connector positivity are my five top uh gallop strengths and Anybody that knows me, spends any time with me, knows that um, rabbit holes are my favorite place to, to try to dig into because, <laughs> um, you know, I just I love to ideate the, the thought of ideas and playing with that. I would be if I could be the chief ideation officer of a company, you know, you don't have to pay me. I'm just showing up every day <laughs> smiling. It, on the other side, I think that. Um, the strategy and the the business model has has grown to be more important to me. I started out in finance, but I've really uh, migrated towards strategy, and really, I spend most of my time coaching people because I do believe, and with like you were saying, Clayton, on AI, that you're never going going to succeed without having the ability to communicate between people. I just don't see a fully automated AI company succeeding the same way. It's still going to need people. And so I find that working with people is by far and away the most challenging, the most messy, but the most rewarding when when you can help somebody figure out how to uh, improve their communications so that they can scale in terms of systems and their communication stays up with the systems that they're imp implementing. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't plug this right now, but, uh, we have this at ClickFunnels. I believe that we purchased this a few years ago, but we have this software, uh, called understand.me and it's completely free to everybody. If you go to understand.me, yeah. we'll link it in the bio and we'll, uh, you guys can go to it and basically you can, you can, uh, round up your disk test. You can round up all of these personality tests all into one and people literally can go and, uh, it will create a unique link for you. So if any company 
company wants to see your personality or anything like that, you can basically send them a URL like, hey, here's what I scored on the disc, disc test. Here's what I scored here and here and here. Um, you know, here here's my, you know, numbers here. And uh, yeah, we'll give you a free URL for it. So it's a really, really cool service that we started a couple of years back, but it's been important to us through the hiring process because knowing people, how people tick and knowing, you know, how they learn and has uh, really sped up some of the onboarding that we do um, at our company. So I think that that's a, that's been big for us. So uh, speaking more that's about a, that's customer service. That's a great service, idea. Yeah. That's a great it, idea. And you know what? It's, it's free. So, hey, go, go see what uh, personality <laughs> traits you got and you can't beat free. Um, speaking of customer experience and, you know, kind of diving into the world of customer experience as a business owner, you know, how much do you talk to some of these new entrepreneurs and new business owners about some of the customer journeys or some of the impacts that they're having on their customers? And, you know, maybe some of the voice that you want to have as a brand to those customers. And how much is that spoken about when you're trying to work with a company? And, you know, how, I guess, what is the percentage of, of what you talk about that versus what you talk about the actual business model that they're going with? I'd say not enough would be the best best percentage I could tell you because we try to take an idea and vet it and, you know, I guess business model it out. But where we're heading is always a minimum viable product. And that what we define as a, a MVP is a product that, that customers agree they would purchase. So you can't answer that question if you're not talking to potential customers. So we try to do some focus groups here. Could do a lot more, is I guess what I'm saying. So I'm looking in the mirror saying, Rick, you need to do more of that with, with some of these startups. But the ones that do, you really can't spend too much time understanding your customer niche. I mean, because ultimately you want to own that niche to, to have a chance to succeed with so many you know, the, the entrepreneurial market is wide open, but it's crowded at the same time. There's so many competing apps. There's so many competing services. So you better come out with something that is so remarkable that it, people remark about it. Because you and I know that going viral means that a lot of people are talking about what your product does for them. And so we try to get them there. And then the second part of MVP is, okay, people will they like your product. They think it's a good service. What are they willing to pay for it? Because as you know, there's subscription models, there's fee-based models, there are products uh, that you're going to manufacture or assemble and sell. And you need to understand what those price points are because oftentimes the challenge is you've got a product. How do you engineer it or how do you design it so that you've got a chance to get to above break-even? You know, because it may take you a year to get enough subscriptions to where it makes sense because, you know, the lifetime value of a customer may be great, but you've got to figure out, okay, what can I start with? What can I price it with to get me enough volume so that I, I have a viable business in year two or three? Yeah, that, that's super important. I think that making sure that uh, the right, right price point is there, but also talking through what those price points means. I think it, the subscription models are so sexy right now and everybody wants to, everybody wants to have yeah. a subscription model. But, uh, there's, you know, there's also, as you know, major downfalls to some subscription services where you're basically fighting for those customers every single month, right? You're trying to win yeah. your current customers and you're trying to get leads in the door. Um, and so you're trying 
trying to fight on two fronts rather than having, you know, a one-time product or, you know, even, even some of those others that, that you mentioned. And so, uh, I love the conversation around price points because it's so in depth. And again, it speaks to what customer experience you want to have, right? Like uh, that subscription model is different, a different customer experience than a one-off purchase that, you know, people are buying. And so, uh, I, I really like that. So going to, you know, your, your thoughts on business ownership and entrepreneurship. Uh, I want to ask you a very, I, I feel like, uh, I'm more of a cliche question, but Hey, if you started at the incubator <laughs> today, knowing what you know now, would you do anything differently at the incubator or would you have done anything differently to, uh, businesses that you've come across in the past couple of years? Yes. And it, you're, it's a cliche question. that's perfectly timed. Um, we just got a three, uh, we started out in 2018 thinking that we were going to get a, a grant that was part of an EDA program to rehab the uh, 1924 building called the K-1 Center and convert it into a 21st century tech incubator with that 1924 school uh, facade on the outside. We were unsuccessful the first time, but we were dumb enough to reapply, and we just got <laughs> Of the grant this year. It's the same grant that, that allowed Innovation Portal to come into business. So same idea. We're going to do it here in 2024. Well, when you get a grant like that, you go, oh, great. What are we going to do now that we grow up? Because I'm living in 600 square feet on the second floor of the PNC <laughs> Bank. Thank you, PNC. Uh, there was supposed to be a temporary home uh, because this bank's been sold twice since we've been here to show you how the banking world goes. So we are grateful to be here, but we're looking forward. So we need to figure out what programming are we going to do because programming will determine how we design the space. So looking at that, we just spent six months trying to figure that out. And I think one of the things that we're looking at would be a couple of niches that fit with our environment in terms of focusing on both making connections and and attracting entrepreneurs in this space. One is agritech. You know, we're an agricultural based area, but we again, there's technology that can be used there. Another one, the state it has a big push through an Alabama Innovation Corporation where they have put together roughly a hundred million dollars to support innovation in Alabama. It's a state run fund that just is coming up. Uh, we've got a couple local board members, luckily, um, and you know, we're grateful for those folks. And main thing is, we, they are focused on recreational entrepreneurship because of the natural resources. So one of the areas that we would want to focus on is what can we do from an entrepreneurial point of view to focus on things like um, applications or ideas that can help clean up the bay? You know, in other words, make our environment even better than it is. Another one is biomed. We've got medical things here, and we also have a ton of cancer in this area, thanks to a lot of industrial reasons. Nobody has quite put their finger on it, but there's no reason we couldn't focus on biomed. And we have some doctors we work with and some other areas. And then lastly, what you were talking about is, I think blockchain, virtual reality, dynamic reality, given that we've got a program already in place that's a national level program, it's better than most universities over there at our community college because they brought it in from Canada. This was not, this isn't homegrown. We bought the program and moved it here. So I think we would be remiss if we didn't focus on those areas. So 
to answer, that's a long-winded way of saying we're going to be more niche-oriented, and we're also thinking of one other idea is pick a technology. And if you know Fairhope, what you'll find is we have this thing called the Writer's Cottage. It's right by our library, and it allows uh, writers to spend a year writing kind of in a grant fellowship where we give them a place to work in Fairhope. There's no reason where I hatch. Uh, we're going to have a technology cottage, and we're going to invite world-class um, researchers or world-class entrepreneurs to spend a year doing research or whatever they want to do in inside a hatch. Because, you know, why wouldn't you want to spend a year in Fairhope? Yeah, that is absolutely true. There is no reason that you would not want to spend uh, mm-hmm. a whole 12 months in 70-degree weather. I love I love the Tri Cities. I love Spokane. I'm going to give you a choice. You know, February in Fairhope, February in Spokane. Just saying. Yeah, I don't, and my point I, being I is, don't, yeah, we, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I just wanted to speak on that. There's not much of a choice if you know uh, anything about the Northwest in in February. I think that my uh, my uh, family sends me some 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 hate mail every February at this point. So, yeah, go ahead. Well, I lived. I no, I lived in Eugene, and so. This time of year, I remember that my house always smelled like mildew because all of my workout gear, I could never get dry because it never stopped raining until May. And then the, you know, the haste fevers came out. So, um, <laughs> so we, we just know that one of the advantages that, that Hatch has is that we have a great environment that when, when 10 companies come to a workshop down at the Grand Hotel, one of them, the conversation on the way home is, you know, we need to think about moving to Fairhope. I mean, we have the statistics to show that. So we need to make sure that we bring world-class talent here just because the odds are in our favor that if we keep doing it, we're going to get some some uh, world-class people moving here. And we have some already, but I'm just saying more. It's just crazy to me. I, I just going through, you know, what exists and what you guys are doing, what the innovation portal is doing, the writer's cottage. Like I, I just learn so much every time I am speaking to, you know, people in the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial space in Alabama because it's so vast and people, it's just so hidden. It's just such a hidden gem. And so uh, I, I just love hearing how much is available and how much, how many resources are available for people who want to start, you know, doing whatever it is and at least having that conversation. I think that um, at the very least, some of these grants are just opening up opportunities for people that wouldn't have them otherwise, which is very awesome. Um, and Rick, I'll, I'll just leave you uh, with this. And did you have something else on some of the opportunities here in Alabama? Yeah, I was going to say one of the things that, you know, this conversation is a classic. You and I have just kind of run into each other through some social media. I didn't know you were here, but obviously you, you've come here. I know who you're working with and the companies because I'm just one of those people that stays in touch with what's going on outside of here. And so that is happening every week. And Todd and I talk about the fact that our goals is to make sure that we increase the velocity of all the interesting entrepreneur or entrepreneurial minded folks run into each other because we don't try to think that Hatch or Portal is the ultimate solution. We believe that by getting the people that are attracted to both of them together, that's where the, that's the secret sauce. And so next Friday, give an example, we're having a Hatch hangout here um, from three to five on Friday. And we've got a guy, Zane Teeters, who moved here for family reasons from Maryland. He, he was a, uh, 
IT trained product manager, had started his own software company, integrating software uh, and sold it and started working for Microsoft as a lead project manager, helping various parts of the defense industry and the national security industry integrate all of their operating systems, which is a big problem. Well, he wants to do a workshop on, let me show you how you can have your operating and your software systems uh, connect to each other in your private business. So he's going to be here from three to five. Six months ago, I didn't know Zane was here. He just showed up at one of our hangouts and we started talking. I said, what's your story? And you know, again, that's what's happening that we need to continue to, to push for is how can we get more people together and see what happens? You mentioned velocity, and I feel like I hear that term from you and Todd every other day now, just re looking at your content and, and following you guys. But it's such a true metric of how to get people together and really a metric of success for entrepreneurship and just the whole incubator world here in South Alabama that is trying to get businesses to take that next leap or even start the entrepreneurship journey. But velocity of people getting together and doing that is uh, very exciting to hear because again, I, I can't help but laugh. You just talking about, you know, uh, this, this very, very random person coming to v Fairhope and having Microsoft project management experience and, you know, just the, the sheer amount of talent that we have here in lower Alabama and, and uh, just the intellectual property that people own here in Alabama is uh, incredible. And so I can't help but laugh when I hear that, you know, somebody in the defense, the defense category for Microsoft is coming in and having this speech and hopefully it's in front of uh, many, many people, but I certainly uh, am going to be one in attendance. So very, very cool. And uh, Rick, is there, uh, as we end today, is there any place where, you know, people can uh, find the Hatch Institute or uh, uh, you at all? Do you want to plug anything today? Yeah, well, a couple of things. Hatch is located in downtown Fairhope at the second floor. It's 36 North Section. It's the PNC Bank building at Section in Magnolia. And our entrance is on the side. Second floor, if you walk in, if you can get up the elevator, the steps, you're going to walk into our space. And so that's, that's where you can find us. If you go to hatchfairhope.com and, um, or, or actually hatchfairhope.com is our website. You can find me at uh, there or I have a consulting company, Pro 356 Consultant. And so I kind of go back and forth between the two and uh, you can reach me there. One other thing I want to circle back for before I forget, because like I said, I'm ADHD. That is, I don't think you're going to be out of a job for podcasting because one of the things that we encourage at Hatch is that every company needs to consider podcasting as part of their marketing strategy. So I applaud you, and we're we're going to have a great podcasting studio. We built one in on the third floor coastal for that, and we're going to have one over in the, the new building when we move in there because whether you're a lifestyle or scaling company, I just think that we're such a visual uh, company visual country right now that everyone ought to be using podcasts to communicate.
Yeah, that that's very, very true as well. Uh, I think that it's part of every business and media of every business. And honestly, uh, if if we didn't uh, end it here, I think that I could probably talk to Rick for the next three hours. So I'm guessing a, a part two is coming up here in uh, the next month or so. But Rick, I appreciate you so much. And I am hoping to uh, run into you in person here uh, in the next week or so and uh, introduce myself in person. But I appreciate your time. And thank you guys for everything you're doing for Lower Alabama in the entrepreneurial world. Well, I, I appreciate the time, Clayton, and I will look forward to you and I sitting down together and uh, sharing stories some more.